welcome to the Shades of Success. I'm your host, Adrian Leckie. And for those who are new to Shades of Success, this is a Toronto-based podcast and a community of racialized professionals, creators, and dream chasers who are actively redefining success on their own terms. Here, we are celebrating culture, community, and success within the city. Today, we are joined by a good friend of mine, Eli Rose. So Eli is currently a strategic projects intern at the University of Toronto St. George campus and is an up-and-coming graduate student studying political science. So welcome, Eli, to Shades of Success. Yo, thanks for having me, Adrian. Really appreciate being here. Yeah, just really excited to be on the pod and yeah, let's chop it up and spit it up with you. All right, wicked. So before we get started, let's let me know, like, how, tell me about your day right now. How are you doing? I'm doing good. You know, it's a little bit of a, a little bit of an overcast day, but we're, we're getting through it. Um, it's just, you know, good vibes always when you're, when you're healthy, when you're breathing. Um, so every day is a good day they above ground, I say. All right, bless. Okay, so for those who are here, Eli, his story really stood out to me because I think the two sort of concepts that revolve around the man that we have here today is a matter of access and also ambition. And so I think when he comes to a lot of the work he's doing, he's really looking to try to incorporate people into spaces and understand what are those barriers while also being a really ambitious brother in which you're going to be able to get to learn in a bit. So to get us started, Eli, a big question, but I know you're going to hit the ground running with it. Bro, what's your story? <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. Um, yeah, access and, and, and ambition probably are, are two words that really well define me. Um, but my story is, you know, nothing too special. I was born and raised in Scarborough, you know, um, kind of hopped around a little bit spent some of my more formative years, you know, growing up in schools in Malvern. So, you know, I had that experience. Never was, you know, a street guy like that, but all, you know, lots of people around me, uh, you know, were from the streets, had street affiliations and whatnot. So always kind of had that flavor to my life, um, but was more so, was more so the school guy did fairly well in school and had good grades and whatnot, but, you know, sometimes had to act a little bit, you know, playing pretend. <laughs> so we always had that side as well. Had to fit in a bit. Um, other than that, really, family kind of touted me as a businessman, really following in my family's footsteps. So my grandfather and my grand uncle started a business, a hardware store in uh, Jamaica called the Rose Brothers. And so that was kind of the legacy that, you know, was kind of cast down upon me and my brothers. Um, yeah, so that's kind of where that kind of led me to go to, you know, Durham College, um, studying business marketing. Again, kind of following along that that path. Um, I probably should have went to university straight away, but you know, something I guess wasn't clicking at that time. Um, not serious, I guess. <laughs> but you know, it was it was kind of it was kind of I guess you know everything happens for reasons. So was kind of my journey. Um, after that, I kind of jumped around for a little bit, going from job to job. Kind of went back to school, very kind of service industry type jobs. Um, and that kind of happened until like 2018, which is kind of the point, I always call it the point that kind of changed my life, my, the turning point, I guess you can call it. Uh, that was the year my aunt passed. So my sister's mom, um, she was very close to her. I was very close to her. And she was actually, it's funny, because she was like the one that everyone in the family wanted to impress mm. or like, you know, show that they're being very progressive or whatnot. <laughs> so um, in that sense, um, this specific kind of, you know, obviously every kind of grievance is, is, is hard, but this one specifically kind of hit me um, because I wasn't able to show her, at least to my standards anyways, um, you know, that level of success that I wanted her to see me at, right? I wanted her to, you know, see me as 
a guy that made it, you know, one of fulfilling one of these dreams. She actually wanted me to always be a kind of star. So that was actually pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so like, that's kind of where I shifted my life. I, I kind of became, at, at that point, I really became serious. You know, people might have said, you know, I was already serious before, you know, being the responsible one in the family, first one to get a car or whatnot. Um, but that's when I really started getting serious and I really dedicated, you know, that, that next part of my journey to her, uh, and all my goals and ambition, um, is now really concentrated on, on, on that kind of moment. Uh, yeah, as I said, it changed my life. I think the one thing I really stood out to be with, with that, like starting moment for you is like the impact of like legacy. Like the idea that, you know, when it come, came to like the folks before you, entrepreneurs in Jamaica, yeah. being able to sort of like build up that like the Rose legacy, which has right. a cool title to it too. <laughs> so there's a one end I feel like that's very, there's an empowerment to that, but you feel like, do you feel a weight to that as well? Well, so like, it's actually deeper than I'm actually even explaining it because the mm. Rose name and the Rose family actually comes from Scotland, something called the Rose Castle. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of the Hundred Year Wars, versus the White Roses versus the Red Roses, but those are all my family members, my descendants, right? So, like, there's a big legacy on the Rose name, especially my specific lineage of Roses. Um, so, it's actually much deeper than just my grandfather. So, when you speak of the weight, I think there is a lot of weight that kind of carries me. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit later in the podcast, but I've kind of learned to kind of balance that out now and, and be just a little bit more kind to myself um not um, putting as much pressure on myself um and it's funny even before i knew all this legacy but it's just kind of what i knew about my grandfather and whatnot <laughs> it was still the weight and so when i found out you know all this other stuff then it was like wow and i really i really need to kind of put my my step on on this earth and leave my mark from there you you got that inspiration you're doing your grieving with your with your aunt and you ended up at the University of Toronto, like St. George campus. So yeah, 2019. What, so what led you there and what led to what you were studying? How did that go? Yeah, it's, it's funny because another thing to add on to that layer to connect it to U of T, I was actually supposed to apply the year before. Mm -hmm. And I realized in the applications that I, I, I basically missed it. Like I was a month, I thought it was a month later or whatever. And it was like a month earlier than I thought. Um, and so I just wasn't prepared to apply for at that time. So I actually missed that. And at that time, if I did get accepted into the program that year, my aunt would have still been alive. So that mm -hmm. kind of really hit me and just really just took me. I'm like, yeah, definitely applying. I think actually already, at that time I already applied. So I probably already, um, no, sorry. I didn't actually apply because I applied that later that year. Um, and I got in for the following year, 2019. So. That was like a big reason. Again, like again, that turning point. I became serious about something. Um, so I always, I had that idea in my head that I was going to apply. I didn't know what I was going to apply for yet. It was my friend at one of these companies that I worked at. Again, one of these you know service companies, or whatever. It's actually a rental company. And funny story. So I I took physics in Durham College in college, and I got like you know seventy something, which is like not great for me, but like, it's, it's decent, mm -hmm. you know, especially considering I'm not a hard scientist at all. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I tried to do it in high school because for some reason my college credit didn't count to get to be, you know, it's the weirdest kind of thing. The high school yeah. credit apparently is worth more than a college credit. Mm -hmm. So I tried to do the college or the high school credit online and I dropped out within two weeks. Oh, snap. I was like, that's not for me. I, that's, mm. I thought I was smart. That humbled me. <laughs> that humbled me. I was like, no, 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 no. That is not the type of smart I am. That is some mm. rocket science. I love it too. It's so weird because it's so interesting. And I love actually, it's so funny. I, I joke around with all the hard scientists I know. And I, you know, I would say like, you know, social scientists are doing the real work. Yeah. But it's so interesting because I actually love what they do. I just don't understand it very well. Like mm. I can understand it from a very abstract point, but I just, it's just, I can't grasp the type of things they're grasping. So, you know, more power to them because that's 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 a very interesting kind of thing to get into. So I wanted to be a civil engineer yeah. actually. That was my original goal. I was gonna go to civil engineering. I was really interested in highways. I had all these ideas of building new highways and roads and everything to try to ease traffic and whatnot, mm. you know, decrease uh 
automobile theft, you know, all these types of things. And then my friend said to me, now going back to the story, my friend said to me, why don't you try political science? He's like, it's still kind of like a science. So you're still kind of getting that science edge, which, you know, I'm very analytical. So I appreciate that. Mm. But it's more dealing with, you know, people and stuff like that. And then I was like, wow, that's very interesting. That's, I've never even thought about that before. Cause you know, just hearing about political science before it was like one of those kind of, you know, degrees that like, you know, you get, but then, you know, you don't really do anything with, right. You, like, you end up doing mm. something else. Um, kind of like my marketing uh, diploma, actually, <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> like we get these things, but then we don't really use them for that. So it's like very interesting. I find that another very mm. interesting about, thing about education. Anyway, so I always give you know credit to him because he's the one that actually made me go into political science. And that kind of re-sparked another kind of dream that I had from earlier in my lifetime, yeah. um, you know, which was to be prime minister. So that kind of clicked in my head and I was like, wow, that's pretty interesting. Let me go, you know, to school for political science, learn everything I can about politics. I did it. <laughs> it was something <laughs> completely different, but it still like helped me learn a lot. Um, and then, you know, let's, let's, let's launch our, our political career. Um, it didn't turn out like that at all. And, and no, I'm not launching my political career at this very second, mm. um, because I'm not going to be running for a specific, you know, riding tomorrow. Mm. Uh, but, you know, that was kind of the, the main kind of goal, the main reason that was the reason why I specialized in political science and I didn't have any other minor or major. Um, I was just really focused on the goal, uh, which I am still very focused on today. So you, you just dropped the bomb there, Mr. <laughs> like striving to be prime minister. Like that's humble. You just kind of like sprinkled that in there as, oh, you know, I just had this thought a while ago. I want to be prime minister. Yo, so do you want to talk a bit about that? Like where did that motivation to become Canada's prime minister, especially someone who black identifying as well, to be able to take on some, a mantle like that, that's, that's big. There was a point during, you know, after I graduated from uh, college or whatever. And then, as I said, I was kind of going from job to job, kind of floating around. There was a point, I think that I stopped kind of believing in myself. Remember, I thought I was going to be this, well, I guess you know, I'm kind of telling you this now, but I thought I was going to be this big billionaire, again, kind of following in the footsteps. Uh, of my my grandfather and whatnot and it's very humbling because it was like i feel like i have so much more value to bring to not only these jobs that i'm in but just the world in general like i feel like i'm, I'm very limited in what i'm doing right now and that's no shade at you know people that do those jobs it's just for me i just never felt comfortable um not progressing um and there's always just something in me it was really kind of taking a toll on me in the sense of losing my confidence in myself and my ability of what I was going to be able to do. I was in my twenties now. It's like, okay, people that I graduated with were getting their junior management, senior management positions. Now it's like, where am I, what am I doing? Um, and again, it was, I go back to my aunt's passing. It was really that, that really kind of gave me that, that conviction. She was a very religious woman actually. So I get a lot of that from her. Um, I'm more spiritual than religious, but still like a lot of the values come from, you know, growing up around her. Mm. And so I had that conviction. And, and again, it really came from a, a shame, a pain, not being able to produce like, you know, like, mm. and again, we'll probably get into this later, mm. but just, I had that more traditional kind of thought about, about success where it's like, I need to produce. And even mm. though she on her deathbed said, she's proud of me. And that wow. meant the world to me after she passed. Cause I didn't think she would actually pass. That's how, mm -hmm. that's how much we believed in a miracle. And when mm -hmm. she passed, that broke me apart into pieces, mm -hmm. into like small, tiny little pieces. Even now I'm getting emotional thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I've actually picked up all those pieces yet. I think I'm still doing it. But yeah. from that broken place, I dedicated my life at least this part of this journey uh, to making her proud. So if there was a possibility that she is looking down on me now. She's proud of me where I'm at. All these awards, 
graduating with high distinction, all that stuff really means nothing to me, honestly. Mm-hmm. I would trade it all in just to have her back. So that's really where my motivation comes from. And reach for the stars. As I said, she wanted to be, she wanted to be, I think it was, I think it was Djokovic, I believe that she compared to, I can't remember. It was one of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and so obviously I'm not a kind of star, um, but who knows? Maybe I can be prime minister. So this is really for her. Wow. Yo, I appreciate you, you, you sharing that, man. Um, for me, that person was my grandma, you know, um, my grandma like used to raise me alongside my mom because my mom was my primary caretaker yeah. and she'd go out and work. And my mom, my grandma came in from Jamaica to sort of, like mm. provide her some help too. And so I've always had that connection with my grandma. And she always, anytime she calls, as a kid, I remember she called like, oh, my grandma's calling, you know, like you kind of <laughs> want to like go out with your friends and stuff. 100%. But, <laughs> And then you know, she'll check in, like, oh, how are you doing? I, I would try to drink an accent, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> uh, you know, like, how are you doing? You doing okay? You staying out of trouble? Okay, I'm great. And I always say, like, oh, okay, I'm getting good grades, doing this, doing that, getting the yeah. She's like, okay, all right, cool. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. And I remember the day where I heard that she passed away. Mm-hmm. And just remembering every time that she she see me she'd always be encouraging me to continue just doing my best and Mm -hmm. despite being in jamaica like i still really felt that connection and yeah just i remember the first couple of months afterwards and processing it it kind of put everything in perspective like like, Mm -hmm. why am i doing the things that i'm doing this was maybe back when i was in it's like maybe going into during university, this would have happened. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it shook my foundation. But just knowing that she cared, knowing mm-hmm. that I always had that encouragement as well and wanting to make her proud and wanting to continue to make her proud is something that's still important to me to this day, alongside like, you know, my mom, who's like my biggest cheerleader too. So thank you for sharing. I really resonate when you hear it about hearing what you're on man yeah it, it changes you too it, it changes you it, it solidifies like you said put things in perspective and, and it makes you really appreciate life man it makes you yeah. really appreciate life that's why you know it's 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 weird because I, I really feel like people probably would see from the outside and be like oh this guy's probably like some keener just like doing all this stuff but honestly like yeah. i don't care about any <laughs> of that stuff it really comes from that that same place where we're just Think we're just trying to make you know our loved ones proud and, and really live life to the fullest and i don't really care what people say like when i'm gone that's it so i'm gonna try mm-hmm. to i'm gonna try to do what i can do now and appreciate all the people that have been in my life regardless if they're alive or past man wow well the one thing i was gonna i wanted to sort of ask you then is and you kind of touched on this like mm-hmm. You have your journey, you know, that you had some like ups and downs along the way. And even in navigating like your your aunt's passing as well. And I know that one thing you mentioned that's important to you is just like making her proud. Right. Um, when it comes to the any other challenges that came up along the way, like what would you say are the things that you did uh, to navigate, whether it be challenges or like uncertainty? Yeah, I know. Um... It's funny because I know when we started this off as me, you know, getting really fluffy and emotional, but I'm actually a very practical yeah. person. So like I'm very <laughs> okay, rational yeah, yeah. and practical. <laughs> so like I have like very kind of more practical, tangible, concrete things that I actually like to do to navigate mm-hmm. my life. Um, one of them is I like to create acronyms. It's funny. So you'll probably hear about mm-hmm. them today. Uh, okay. One is OSM. So it's organize, strategize, mobilize. Mm. what do you want to do how you gonna do it go do it right so organize what do you want to do like that's where you really kind of organize okay like i know some people might switch these two as well but this is the way i think about it i think about Mm. organizing in my head like okay like for example you know this 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 goal that i have of being prime minister like that's an organizational thing it's like okay like what do you want to do if you could clarify that in your head then the next step becomes strategize. 
now, okay, now that I know what I want to do with organizing in my life, this is important, this is not important, this is my priority, this is not my priority. Okay, now how do I maximize the value of trying to get to these priorities? And that's where strategize comes in. How are you going to do it, right? So I actually have a 10-year plan. Um, so this is not just something that I, you know, it is actually something I wistfully kind of cr created. But then after that, I, I, I locked down, created the 10-year plan. And that doesn't mean that every single day is planned out. It's just a kind of concrete kind of outline plan of how do I expect to get to this goal within the next mm -hmm. 10 years, right? So that's strategized. And then mobilize. Honestly, it's like, it's the easiest part of this to talk about, but it's the hardest part to actually do. Mm -hmm. um, one of my managers at Innovation Hub, she really believes in like strength-based things, like you always lean into your strengths. So she made us take these uh, this test called Gallup Strengths, and it gives you your top five strengths. And my manager actually is an activator. More or less, they get things done. They activate, they go, right? Kind of, I'm guessing you're an activator, actually. It's <laughs> like, you I am. definitely, right. Am. So like, you know what I'm saying? So this is kind of the thing where that's why it makes it the hardest because that we're not all activators. That's kind of an activator type strength. Mobilizing is an activator type strength. So I have to be very intentional. Um, but again, I'm very kind to myself. I don't go outside my comfort zones too much, especially where it's harmful. I might go a little bit, um, you know, just continue to expand those boundaries, but in a very safe way. But I have to be very intentional about doing it. If you don't take little steps, you'll never get far. Right. So that's kind of how I understand mobilize. So that's why I feel like anyone can mobilize, right? Anyone can do it. Anyone could make that action. It's just about strategizing, figuring out how you're going to do it and organizing, figuring out who you are, right? To know the type of person you are so that you can strategize around that to get the maximized and best results. There's no perfect mm -hmm. science. But again, if you're being intentional about it, then it kind of like breaks down into these kind of three easy steps. So organize, what do you want to do? Strategize, how are you going to do it? And then mobilize, just do it. Um, wow. Yeah, so I got a couple more, but yeah, I'll, I'll let you, I'll let you. Not, yeah, that's cool. I, I really like your, your practical step-by-step -step approach. I'll be honest, me, I'm majority of myself, for my strengths too, I'm a very strength based person. Mm -hmm. I'm very like a, a emotional, emotionally driven. Right. Part of my sleep, I'll go <laughs> and I, I folks like you support me and like I have all this energy. I'm putting it out there. Put in a process <laughs> as well, there to break it down. It's double edged sword because I'll hit the ground running. If I'm if I'm interested in something, I'm hyper focused in it until right. it's done. Um, but what happens sometimes for me is having all these ideas being very overwhelmed or if challenges yep. come up, then it's like, oh, I'm shook. The motivation, the, the emotions are really tailor what my energy is going into something. So I haven't heard anyone break down that process, especially if you're experiencing challenges to just break it down into organize, gather those thoughts, strategize and figure out what you're doing and how you're going to do it. And then last one, ain't nothing to it but to do it. <laughs> so I love it. I love 100%, that. 100%. I'll just do a couple more because I, I I thought about them. So I just kind of want to put them on the record. Yeah, go for it. I'll just do them quickly. But the next one is just believing in yourself, I think. I, th I think that's very mm. powerful. I think sometimes it's understated. But believing in yourself is will do the world for you because yeah. no one will believe in you more than you. So if you can believe in yourself, then, you know, everything kind of work itself out. And again, nothing's going to be perfect. doesn't mean you're going to get every single thing that you think of. Like, it's just... Yeah you'll get a lot of that. Let's just put it that way. If you just continue to believe in yourself and be intentional. Um, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm, I'm very spiritual. So I really believe that God has me. So even when I do face challenges or trying to navigate something, I just, there's just always this inner strength that I get mm -hmm. from my spirituality. I can't speak for anyone else in that sense, but I feel like people have very similar versions of that. So I would say just lean into that. Um, and the next thing I would say, um, I just want to bring this analogy into because I've really been talking about this for the last year, and it's breaking through the wall. Um, so the story actually that I always tell is before I, you know, became U of T or Student Life Famous or whatever, um, I was just, again, a regular guy. I was a mentor actually for a year. So that was like kind of my first kind of big thing happening. 
um, my first kind of real involvement in, in student affairs and student life and stuff like that. Mm. And I decided, as I mentioned before, I've been doing service jobs. I was just, you know, in a delivery job the summer before while in U of T. So, you know, still going through it. And I decided to myself, no, I don't want to do that anymore. I, in U of T, I have, I'm getting a, a, a University of Toronto um, uh, education. Uh, so why would, shouldn't I be able to get certain types of jobs? I'm seeing other people do it. I should be able to do it too. And so mm -hmm. all I did was apply to jobs, apply to jobs, all internships from, from U of T, jobs and internships from U of T, all on the website, CLMX, kept going, kept going, didn't get nothing, no calls, no interviews. Even my own college wouldn't even give me an interview. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is crazy. And so when I talk mm -hmm. about breaking through the wall, I didn't stop. I didn't stop and, you know, and don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with feeling sorry for himself. That there's a place for that. There's, there's space for that. But I didn't stay there. Right. Mm -hmm. I kept going. I, I took, I had to dig myself out and just keep applying, keep applying, keep applying. Just keep, again, keep believing in yourself. Again, for me, it was that, that spirituality, knowing something's on the other side. I, I'm hitting my head against this wall. Every no, every application is me hitting my head against this wall and I'm not getting through. And emotionally, it's catastrophic. <laughs> I can't even lie to you. If I didn't have the strength I have, I don't even know how I would get to the other side of it. And mm. so I don't know how much of an uh, advice this is, but keep going, mm. keep going. Cause eventually, and I kept saying this in the moment, I didn't know what was on the other side, but I kept saying, I know I'm going to break through. I know I'm going to break through. I know I'm going to break through. No matter how many times my head hit the wall, I knew I was going to break through. And I hit, I got, I got through, I got through, started off at innovation hub. Julia was the first one to give me a chance. And it all cascaded from there. Became one of the first Black student orientation coordinators at U of T St. George. Um, was able to work on some career-based identity, uh, identity-based career programming um, for pre-expression and education. Uh, and then, yeah, as you know now, I, I'm just working on some like advisory and some governance things and different strategic projects uh, within you know the student experience umbrella. Um, at the Division of Student Life St. George. So that's what I would say. Again, I just really want to put that on the record. Just keep going. Break through that wall. I believe in you. I did it. If I can do it, you can do it too. Trust me. <laughs> mm. Man, wow. That, that's powerful. I think that I can't remember. I was watching on Instagram. I was hearing it was LeBron James. He was talking with a group of folks about just like perseverance. And saying that, you know, if you don't make that shot, you just keep going. Right. If you miss, you continue to keep going. And you just keep on going because at the end of it, you're either you're either getting the shot in or you're learning how to tailor and fine-tune your approach in order to get better. And it's kind of that, that active stride towards being able to be resilient. So, like, kudos to you to be able to navigate all those obstacles. Despite the fact that you felt like there wasn't anything budging at first, continue <laughs> moving. That's powerful. That's that's mad resilience. So kudos, Eli. Appreciate it. Wow. So the next thing I'm really interested in, like kind of diving in, and you you kind of just like sprinkle these in here and there. You've done a lot within your time as an undergraduate, and you, you're striving to do more. And the reoccurring themes when it came to your work that you've done in the, the career education area as well as you mentioned being the co-chair for Black Student Orientation, is like representation. Representation for undergraduate students, whether it be within their career or in their student experience as well. So share what you've done. And also, I'm really curious to know from you, like what's the importance of like representation and access in the work that you do and also within a like undergraduate or university such sort of lens? Yeah, you know, honestly, I don't like it's so interesting because like I never thought about access and representation growing up, right? Like, yeah, as I said, you heard my story. I wasn't really thinking about those types of things, but like I was, it was weird because I was thinking about it. I just wasn't, I just didn't understand it as access and representation, right? I always knew there was kind of some other stuff going on. Mm. I always knew there was uh, a path or some sort of voice to advocate um for certain wrongdoings or just certain inequalities and whatnot but i just didn't understand it um but now that i'm at this side of my life and my career and whatnot my academic education 
I kind of really break it down, and I guess I can break it down into kind of like the things that I'm doing, mm-hmm. um, into like my research and then kind of like more of my work that I do. So my research is really kind of focused on like dismantling systems, and that's you know something new. Um, I've really learned to articulate over these past few weeks, past few months. Um, really, what I'm really what I'm trying to do. Um, again, it really is about systems and I understand it in the sense of very much like it's a very much a relational thing. Um, so what I actually do is I study how identity conditions experiences of racialized politicians and specifically like black politicians. Mm. Right. So I really try to understand the career trajectory, the career path, the career structure of politicians and then specifically racialized politicians and against more specifically black politicians to really try to understand that relationship. And again, that's why I really call it dismantling systems because a big kind of question in my research is like, why haven't we seen a black prime minister, right? We've seen a black president. Uh, we've seen female uh, prime ministers around the world. We've just recently seen a, a, a South Asian um, prime minister in the UK. Uh, why haven't we seen a black, prime minister or much less any other racialized prime minister here in Canada, right? And for me, that's where the system comes into play. It's like a really a system of oppression, whether it be racism, capitalism, you know, throw all the systems you want out there. Um, And so part of my research, I feel the lens that I'm taking is I'm breaking down those systems, hopefully building up new systems, you know, building down systems of oppression, building up systems of care, building up systems of community so that we have a more equitable environment, equitable process, equitable, inclusive politics, right? And that's, and that's where, so if you're talking about access and representation, that's where my research really tries to focus on, is, is access in the sense of, we all know that just because it says, you know, like some rule or some policy says that everyone has a fair opportunity, when you break it down, and this is why I do my research in a specific way. When you break it down, no, you don't actually have all the same opportunities. There's different nuances that make it harder for someone as a black person, as a as a woman, um, as a trans person, as uh, someone that's a disability, right? In reality, it makes it harder um, in that sense. So access, that's why I think about access, getting the same amounts uh, of access in different areas. And then representation, that really comes to the voices. Um, why I think it's important to have a black prime minister because we have black people in Canada. So mm-hmm. that's representation. Why would we want to have a black prime minister? Why would we want to have a shot? It's like, it's not only have we not seen a black prime minister, but it, it seems to me that we haven't even been close, like mm-hmm. not even close. So that's how I think about access to representation in my research. And then my work around the university, again, it's really kind of focused on using my voice to empower others. Um, so really leveraging these leadership positions that I've, I've, I've been able to take hold of. So for example, I'm a mentor or I was a mentor for two years in this college. And I really tried to use that position to kind of advocate for, you know, student needs. Um, one of the things I helped come up with, uh, that at least they gave me credit for anyways, I don't, I don't even remember actually coming up with this, but they gave me credit for it, is I, I, I suggested an idea where they match their mentors at, or add an additional category where they can match based on identity. Mm. Right. So again, that's all about that representation. It's all about that access. How do we know one of the best ways to get access? Mentorship, people telling you, people giving you advice on how to get there. So that was a big thing for me. Um, then again, I already kind of mentioned the CXN stuff. So like, sorry, correct version education. We see a lot of acronyms at UFT, uh, University <laughs> of Toronto. <laughs> but uh, we had the career-based identity uh, conversation. So that's really one of the things there is we really problematize professionalism. Right. Um, so again, access representation when it comes to representation of different voices of different people bringing themselves to work differently um, and not being afraid that they're going to lose their job, you know, that type of stuff. So all those kind of things kind of swirl around in my head. I probably didn't eloquently put it as best as I wanted to, but basically that's kind of how I see it. Um, and then I would say like my work in the community, one of the things that I'm doing right now is really trying to increase access uh, uh, funds 
uh, to community members, uh, just to different things, research projects. Um, so when I when I talk to people, I always tell them about like different ways to to get money, like different grants, different research grants, different things of that nature, because like that's really important for me. Financial literacy and access to financial literacy is really important to me. Mm. We need a whole another hour to get into that, <laughs> <laughs> but I just kind of wanted to throw it out there. That's kind of the reason why I I, I think in that specific way. Um, and yeah, in general, I'm just I think I'm just an, a mentor, an advocate, a connector. Um, and then I, and then, yeah, so access and representation are kind of the values that kind of pin me down and ground me as I'm working my way through all of these kind of different initiatives and things that I'm part of. Man, you're a busy guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so one thing that I think your advocate piece, like mm. you mentioned you're an advocate is, is huge. One being thinking about in politics, where some of the barriers that exist in order to have people be at the table and also be served right. and you being the person to be able to do that research is incredible but also in the university thinking about being at the table to say hey we should think about things in regards to identity and culture right. and how that's important when it comes to building connections and even thinking about in careers to how to make sure that you could have uh, culturally relevant and centered conversations about the reality of how you get into the job field right, right. where you're, you're given careers so I'm really curious to know, with all these pieces in mind and your vantage points in each of them, like, what would you say are, like, those common barriers that, that exist for, like, racialized communities in getting access to having their voices heard or the opportunities that they're looking to get or being be able to be at the table to voice what they want? What are those barriers that exist? Yeah, I think there's... So many, honestly, um, probably more than any one person knows. So I think that's also why we should all come together and talk about mm. it because then we can add to that conversation together. It's neither here or there. <laughs> um, I think specifically at like U of T, I found, um, and I, I think I'll connect this to a larger point, but I find that just finding time to find and build community. Mm. It's like, I feel like a lot of people, a lot of students are really kind of Focus. And I think even staff members, now that I've been part of this world as well, like everyone's just kind of focused on this particular goal, whether it be this, you know, their, their, their assignment or graduating, or, you know, some people it's being part of a million clubs or whatever, um, that we're all kind of focused on this rat race, um, that it's really hard and difficult to just really be intentional about finding community and then building community. And I say both of them, because sometimes you're going to just find community randomly, right? Mm -hmm. I found a community of innovation up without looking for it at just different places. Uh, but building community is really the important part because everyone talks about building community, but like, how do you really do it? Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the time piece really comes into place because you have to like build these relationships, build these bonds, have these conversations, um, be vulnerable, be your authentic self, right. Uh, be empathetic and create these safe spaces. So it's just like, I really feel like the culture is so kind of restrictive that it's hard for people to really kind of go out of that or just like let it go and mm -hmm. just say, like, you know what, I'm going to do my best, but this is what drives me as a person. This is what gives a new life. Mm -hmm. um, I would say talking to people gives me life. It's so funny. Sometimes mm -hmm. like I'm supposed to be working and I'll be having like a 10, 15, 20 minute chat conversation and, and that just re-energizes me for the rest of the day. And that gives me life. So those kind of little things, and um, I'm sure when you ask me a certain question, I, I can expand on, on those kind of in-between moments. Um, but I feel like those are kind of the moments that help you build community in a real way, a substantive way, where it's not just like, yeah, you know, this person is racialized and I'm racialized, so that makes us part of the community. No, I don't know you, <laughs> right? Like, I'm very, I'm very straight up about that. I don't know you. I love you. I love everybody, but I don't know you. Uh, we don't have a bond. We don't have a community, right? It's when I get to know you and really know each other. And then sometimes we're going to disagree and that's fine, but I love you still. And I actually have a bond with you. That's a kind of a difference. Um, so I would say that's kind of one of the barriers I definitely see in the university, especially U of T being one of the higher institutions. Mm. Um, another kind of big thing I think is like, students really asking and getting what they want. Um, mm. And 
a big part of that is like not knowing how or who to ask. Um, but a lot of it is also lacking confidence, um, and, and, and really conviction. Like some people don't really lack the confidence per se, but it's maybe the conviction part of it where they're really determined. Like, yeah, you know what? I'm actually going to do this. Like it, you can easily find an excuse, for example, not to talk to your dean at an event. Yeah. Right. But why don't you go talk to them? <laughs> like, right. Like it's not going to kill you and you'll come to see that. Those small, and again, I said, take it in little steps. Everyone's different. Some people are able to run up to the stage and shout some hurrah and leave. Like, you know, some people are not going to do that. Some people, maybe just go introduce yourself. Maybe have someone introduce you for, uh, you know, that for yourself. Introduce them for you, you know, right? So, like, there's different kind of ways around it. But, yeah, I would say, like, asking and getting the things you want. For example, like, scholarships, grants again financial stuff like for me specifically like go get it it's out there you can get it you just gotta figure out how organize strategize mobilize go get it so mm. that conviction part of it as well um yeah i would say those are kind of the the two biggest i would say barriers from my perspective anyways again there's a million of, and one but i think those to me mm. stand out from my perspective no that was for each man i think that the community building one for sure especially as students, you have like so many things going on in your life, whatever it be the things that, you know, navigating school, trying to succeed in that. And then also whatever outside life that you have as well, there's a lot of different components going on. And to make the time to build that community, to find one, find two, if you can't find it, like one thing I usually say to folks is if you don't see yourself represented, try to find means to build it yourself. Right. That way, folks, there's a clear gap and you can find ways to build community off of that. Um, but then the challenge with that is the labor associated with building these communities mm -hmm. as well. And sometimes, you know, especially being like someone who's racialized, who works, who supports like black identifying students, a lot of the labor for the folks who are need, the people are doing that work. And it's like, how do I keep this sustainable? But also in like in a student's case, continue being a student you know? right so yeah being able to sort of like go out there and take that initiative while also making sure that there are other systems that are there as mm. well to ensure that they're being supported when they're right. taking the initiative but it starts with asking the question or putting yourself right. out there as well yeah i'm so glad you mentioned that the the, the additional labor emotional physical spiritual yeah um that you hit it right out of the money. I won't even expand on it because I think you eloquently put it there. And I think that kind of wraps. That was the larger point I was supposed to get to that I haven't got to. <laughs> but yes, I'm glad you put it on, on the table because that's a very big issue uh, that we definitely got to think about and start incorporating it into programs and services and policies. Okay. So then let's flip it. So we talked about here's some of the barriers that exist for, let's say, undergraduate students. So what are the opportunities that exist to make sure that like racialized undergraduates are seen and then they're supported? What are things that we can do? Yeah, and I think just as the problems are probably endless, so are the opportunities, right? I feel exactly. like there's so many things that we can do. And again, I'll just touch on a couple that I kind of resonate the most with, or at least I can see. But again, that's really part of my philosophy. Like that's why we want to bring everyone to the table because I can't see everything. Mm. Um, but for sure, one of the things I've heard recently is shining a light on students' stories. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'll add my own little kind of piece to it, advocating for student needs. So again, really kind of shining the light. If you have power, if you're in a position like your comms or something, or you're an executive director, or whatever, you have the power to shine a light on a story, as uncomfortable as it may make you feel or you think that's going to make other people feel, if you really feel like it's important to shine a light on that story, then do it. Regardless of how you actually do it, it could be talking to maybe other people uh, in your in your management team. It could be maybe, you know, whatever it is. I don't know. The, again, the opportunities are endless. Um, but once you figure that part out and you really see it, then why not kind of in your own way shine a light on that story? Again, it could be a private conversation. It could be a public conversation. It could be something more um, tangible, like you're creating something, you create an event out of it. I don't know. But really shining a light and then advocating for student needs. So this goes again to... Um, one of the things I really learned at the Innovation Hub is, is, is needs versus solutions. Um, and once you find out a need, there's usually a limitless amount of solutions to satisfy that need. 
So that's what I specifically mean when I say advocating for student needs. Uh, is really trying to, and the thing that Indonesia Hub does well, is that they're able to articulate a, a digestible and palatable story of needs that the administrators and the program coordinators to really digest and absorb and on a human level, be able to see where they can now start creating solutions to, to fill those needs. So really kind of focusing on the advocacy piece, but really about the needs specifically and not so much about the solutions. Because I said, as we kind of already kind of talk about this, the, the opportunities and solutions are endless. Um, so really just kind of focusing on those needs. Um, another thing I would say is, again, going back to that dismantling system. So this kind of, again, very abstract, but it can come in different ways. Um, again, I'm not a, I'm not really a systems theory specialist, so I don't really want to go into all of the kind of ways you can dismantle systems. I know kind of the way I have approached to dismantling systems, which is again, a lot of through storytelling, but really creating that authenticity through vulnerability. Um, and then also having being supported through empathy. Um, so that's kind of how I break down systems and build up new systems of community care. But again, really, um, breaking down those things that, again, tokenize, marginalize, stereotype, um, racialized individuals, whether it be students or staff. Again, I mentioned the, the system of professionalism that I, uh, myself and Hannah, my co-facilitator, really problematized and resisted and, and really reflected upon. Um, and again, for example, the, the reason why that system's a problem because it doesn't account for the legacy of trauma, right? So. Mm specifically really trying to break down those things. And again, no one's going to be an expert, I don't think, or maybe there are some experts that claim to be experts, but for my opinion, <laughs> there's not going to be real experts. And so we're kind of yeah. just really trying to create together, create these solutions um, to really kind of break down uh, these systems. So in, in my, for me specifically, this is kind of how I see opportunities being um, created for racialized students, racialized individuals. It's those kind of two things there. Wow. Yeah, I think being able to hear stories, understand stories, and also be able to advocate for them for folks mm -hmm. who can't be at the table is so, so important. Um, so grounding some of the work that I do, um, being within Imani, Imani is a Black academic mentorship yeah. program where we have Black undergraduates supporting Black middle school and high school students. And the one thing I'm always really cautious about is when it comes to the work that we do, the way how we equip, we're equipping our undergraduates to go out in these communities, I don't want to be the person who's sitting at, sitting up in my office being like, oh, Black youth go through this, this, and this. This is mm -hmm. what I read. This is how we're going to be, uh, like, prescribe our solutions. It's being able to go over there and have a conversation with the people who you want to serve. I always feel like within my mind, having a service-based approach of saying like within the privilege I have within whatever role I'm doing, I have the obligation to serve you. Right. And how could I serve you if I don't speak to you and know who you are? And I think that's one thing I really love about the um, innovation hub, mm -hmm. being able to take a, I'll say marketing like approach and being able to understand like, well, who's your user? Right. Who's the person? How are you serving them? What's that need? And how do you reflect that? And also being able to know the person behind that is so mm -hmm. important when it comes to student-based work. And also you can expand it outwards. I can even argue that could be in the case for like politics, like making 100%. sure that you're there as well. And so ensuring that you know the voice, you understand the stories of the communities that you're serving and be an advocate. But also I love the idea of sure you're hold holding yourself accountable to those communities too. Yeah. Like, how exactly are you doing that? And how are you following back with them to let them know this is what I've done? So yeah, you I think you checked it all there, man. Like that's that's fantastic. Yeah, and just a quick note on the the kind of the needs of the user. It's funny because when I walked into the innovation hub, I felt like or and I did the policy thought before where I, I got a taste of design thinking, but regardless. Yeah. Before I understood design thinking and human-centered design. I assumed everybody thought like this. So this is actually very weird that I'm coming into it and I'm like, hold on, wait, this is a this is a this is a thing. Like people have to learn this. But apparently, yeah, yeah we we take a very top down waterfall approach to things. And I guess that's how power works. Hey. <laughs> you just <laughs> dropped the mic there. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love it. All right. So thank you for sharing a lot of your work. And I'm really excited to hear about the research that you do as well. Because I know that based off of what your ambitions are, um, being able to understand some of these barriers for, you know, future politician I'm talking to right now. And also the other future Black youth will hope to do the same, be able to have that framework and to have someone break it down and dismantle it. It's going to be important. Mm-hmm. So like we've talked about, you know, your past, you know, we talked about what you currently are doing. You you mentioned a bit about what the future holds for you, but I want to kind of throw the floor at you next to just talk about you're a very ambitious student. One thing that you that you told me that I know there's a particular person or like a slightly or athlete who inspires you as well when it comes to ambition. So I'll give you the floor. Like, tell me what does the future hold for Mr. Eli Rose and how you can how are you going to continue keeping yourself ambitious towards your your objective? Yeah. Thank you, thank you for that, uh, Mike, you are setting me up there for, with that one there. Um, Kobe Bryant is probably the, the athlete you're referring to. Um, and yeah, like, it's funny because I started watching basketball fully, like, as a real fan, um, after actually Kobe won his first three championships. So Kobe was the reason why, though, I, I started watching basketball heavy. And I really, my favorite times, I actually remember him and Durant going at it in the first round of one of those years. Um, I think it was the year one. Uh, and that was when I was really into basketball. And as soon as you retired, that's actually when I started kind of phasing out of the basketball. So that was very interesting. So Kobe mm-hmm. holds a special, really special place in my heart in that sense. But really, my connection to Kobe in that sense, other than being born on the same day. <laughs> so that's very interesting. August 23rd, Kobe were born on the same day. Uh, he's 12 years older than me, by the way, if you get to know that. Um, and I started watching like his some motivational videos, right? And I really started keying on the Kobe ones, the Kobe interviews, the you know little videos that they put together. And I really started like internalizing a lot of the stuff he was saying, a lot of stuff he was doing. So, for example, he used to get up at 4 a.m. And it wasn't just the stuff he was doing. It was the reason why he was doing it, it was really impressed me. So for example, he used to get up at 4 a.m. so he could have a workout for two hours, go back, have a sleep or whatever, a break, take his kids to school, come back, another workout, break. By the end of it, he had four or five workouts in the day. At the same time, every other athlete would have two or three workouts max in that same day. So he was literally outworking you with practical things. Like he was organizing, strategizing and mobilizing. Right. Like he was literally doing it. And it was so revolutionary for me because again, I was touted as a responsible one, you know, the, 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 the smart quote unquote smart one, whatever, whatever it was. But like, I never had a work ethic like Kobe Bryant. Probably still don't actually. I'm not going to try to claim that I do. He's, he's, a, mon- <laughs> he's a monster. But yeah. I actually started getting more serious about it when I realized like, like there's, there's some deeper stuff going on here. Right. Um, I actually started getting up at 5 a.m. at one point. I don't do that anymore because <laughs> my kid does not make that possible. But, you know, I, I really try to uh, really kind of internalize some of those things. So I really like the analogy of basketball because I told someone the other day, like, all this other stuff to me is great, but it's like winning in other leagues, me to accomplish my goal, and I've said it before, so I can just say it again, to become the prime minister, that's like winning an NBA championship team, mm-hmm. right? And Kobe was all about championships, right? And that's how I really live my life. And it's funny because people thought Kobe was going to have a hard time letting go of the game when he retired. But the reason why he didn't is because he poured his heart and his soul into it. And that was his main focus priority, even over his family. That was his priority. So when he did leave the game, he knew that he left everything on the floor, literally and figuratively, broken fingers and joints and all. Um, And then now we can transition to something else. So that's kind of the approach I'm taking um, to to this career goal of mine. It's like, I'm going to leave it on the floor. Now, did Kobe win every year? No. Am I going to win every year or even win at all? Who knows? We'll see. 
but am I going to approach it like I am going to win? Yes. Am I going to approach it like I'm going to, this is my, my life and everything revolves around it? Yes. That's exactly what I'm going to do um, to accomplish something and to feel, to feel like I actually put my all into it, which I've never actually felt before. I always felt, and maybe it's so funny because I always blame other people for undervaluing me, but maybe you will insight Eli, you just got one. Maybe it was me not putting my all into it, right? And maybe mm. that's why I left room and left opportunity for people to undervalue me, to underappreciate uh, what I bring to the table. So thank you for lining that up because I, I, I really loved, you know, talking about Kobe um, and, and really what he did with my life. When it comes to like me specifically, obviously, as you kind of mentioned, I'm coming back for my master's. So I'm going to be doing that, continuing my research again on studying political career structures and trying to dismantle oppressive systems that stop racialized politicians and, you know, and people in general from ascending in, in, in their careers. Um, I'm hopefully going to get accepted into the PhD program that I want to get into under the professor I want to study under. And, you know, I actually have a book in my mind that I'm wanting to and probably going to, most likely going to write um for or either for my dissertation or out of my dissertation so you know hopefully that's going to come about and then as you kind of lined it up politics of course um I, i'm in a really exciting time for myself right now um i don't want to give too much up um there's more to come for sure but i just want to let people know that Definitely serious about it, but thinking about it for a long time. I don't want to skip steps, though. I don't want to skip steps. I want to put the work in. I want to earn anything that I get. Um, and I feel like I have so far, so I want to continue that trend. Um, but I want to see it at the table. I want to see it at the table. Um, if it's me specifically, amazing, great. If it's if it's someone that's for the cause and it's not me, amazing, too. That's, that's kind of the goal here, right? We're trying to lift each other up. We're trying to all go together as a community. That's why I always say we are going to get there. I never say I'm going to get there. Mm. I don't know if I said I here, so I may have just outed myself. But <laughs> <laughs> usually I say we are going to get there. We are going. Um, we are trying to accomplish this goal together. Um, but let's see how far we can go. Mm. Other thing Kobe kind of taught me is that it's not really about the destination. Having a destination is amazing. It's, it's great. So you can point towards something to build towards. But enjoy the journey. Enjoy those. Enjoy those. Those moments. Um, yeah, that's what I would say. Wow. Well, I'm. I'm excited for you, dude. I'm really excited. Um, from hearing one, from hearing your passion about Kobe, it's like, oh man, I, I'd love to re kind of respark that as well. Um, but also just seeing. And I think you ended it great when you said, you know, we we are going to get there, and it yeah. just shows. Based off of what you've said and based off what you're aiming to do, it really does sound like you're putting yourself out there to be able to learn more in order to serve the community. Right. Learn more about what those barriers exist and how we could work together in order to dismantle those and who we need to hold accountable to make sure we continue to dismantle those access blocks as well. And knowing that the end goal, someone of color is going to be prime minister. Right. We may, I might be talking to him right now. <laughs> It may not be right. Um, you know, you know, team, team, <laughs> I'm going, going for Rose. We go for it. But, we go for I mean, it. <laughs> yeah. But knowing that the work that you're doing, you're looking to build that foundation, right. whether it be you or not, but serving the community is something that's powerful. And then right. knowing that you're dedicating not only your time from your master's, the eventual PhD, um, the, the literature you're looking to make as well, it's something that builds that legacy, same legacy that you've talked about before. So it's just amazing to see how hearing from where we where we started hearing from where you've started up to where you're looking to go it's it's really exciting so like congratulations and i know that it's being for everyone listening so that we're really excited really appreciate that yeah so eli we've reached like the end and one thing i would like to do in closing off interviews is give the space sort of like why we're here before is kind of like exploring what success means We've, we've heard about your journey. We've heard about the work that you're doing as well, what you aim to do. But then all this, I really want to know, uh, Eli, how do you define success for yourself? Yeah, so as I alluded to earlier in this conversation, I defined success very traditionally before. 
you know, hitting markers, you know, making goals, hitting markers. Like for example, being trying, uh, having the goal of, of wanting to be prime minister, hitting that goal would define success traditionally, right? Now I really think about it very differently, and I thank really all experiences in my life, and especially the experiences at University of Toronto. But I think about success kind of two different ways. Um, one is being fully present in moments of empathy, and I'll expand mm -hmm. on that in a second. But the second one is doing the right thing when it's the hard thing, mm -hmm. right? So moments of empathy, I alluded before in the, in the conversation about these in-between moments, right? And this really, for me, is how I, I feel successful. This is when I feel the most successful, right? It's not, again, it's not getting all these awards and hitting all these accomplishments. And that's all gravy. And, you know, I hope my aunt feels proud of me. But in reality, um, these moments of empathy, these in-between moments are really the things that define success for me. Specifically because, as I mentioned before, empathy is one of my values, words, whatever you want to call it, that really kind of define me. Um, and the amazing part about these in-between moments, so for example, an in-between is we're working on our own kind of thing, and then we stop and have like a five-minute conversation. So I kind of alluded to this earlier. And in that five-minute conversation, 10-minute conversation, whatever it is, we're not being productive. So technically, we're not going towards any goal, right? So that's the traditional kind of way of conceptualizing it. But what we're doing is we're building a bond, right? We're being present. We're bringing our authentic selves we're being vulnerable in that moment with each other, right? We're telling stories, right? We're, so these are the moments for me that really define. I always I always say, like, it's so weird. I'll do a, whole, a day full of work. And the moments I really remember is having that five-minute conversation with my colleague. Mm. Um, and then you can expand that out to your friends, your family, and all that type of stuff. But those moments where you're not really being productive, you're not really doing anything. But you're building bonds. Those are the really important parts for me because that's actually how you build communities of care and communities of support. It's through those moments of empathy. So that's one way I define success. The second way I define success is doing the right thing when it's the hard thing. And this I specifically have drawn, the insight I've drawn out through my, my career choices over the last year. So as I kind of alluded to you, you know, I'm somewhat popular in the division of student life you know, and, and different places around St. George campus. Uh, I don't know, popular might be an exaggeration, but I, let me just let me just say I'm popular for a second. <laughs> um, because of that, I'm afforded and blessed with a lot of different opportunities. Now, again, when I say doing the right thing, especially when it's the hard thing, I mean, for example, like a career choice. So even though, for example, I use Innovation Hub as, a, as and Julie, don't kill me, but <laughs> Innovation Hub, I could have returned. I could have returned to the Innovation Hub, could have been a team lead, very comfortable in the role. I would have done very well because I've already was doing very well. But would, have that, would that have moved me along the access? Would that have gotten me closer to what I'm really trying to accomplish? And the answer is no. I had to do the hard thing. I had to figure something else out. I had to figure out the next step in my career development. I had to go out on a limb, talk to people, pitch people, <laughs> like, you know, just do, do different certain things where, again, that's the hard thing. It's hard to do that. It's hard to put yourself, again, vulnerability, another one of my words, authenticity, vulnerability, and empathy. I can't say it enough. Being vulnerable, putting yourself out there, right? But also being authentic enough to say like, yeah, this would be me accepting something that would make me comfortable but doesn't mean that I'm progressing out of it. Doesn't mean it's necessarily the right thing. And that's mm -hmm. what I really mean about doing the right thing when it's the hard thing. It's, it's really hard to do that. So if you can do that, I think you should feel proud of yourself. You should feel successful because it takes a lot of strength, determination, conviction, confidence, belief that you can actually do that and not, you know, feel like, oh, I'm, I'm making a mistake. I should have stayed where I was comfortable. I should have, no, believe in yourself. Put yourself on a limb. Put yourself on a branch um, and do it. Wow. That's a powerful place to wrap up. So Eli, I wanted to um, recognize when your time today and thank you uh, so much for joining me today. Uh, thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your empowerment as well. 
your passion radiates with every single word that you say. Um, and I feel like every time I've come out of a conversation with you, I always come out learning more, but also being inspired. Uh, so thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And thank you. And I really appreciate being here um, and letting, giving, you know, me the platform to, to really speak about not only my journey, but the things that I value and, you know, some of the things that I'm thinking about doing in the future. So I really appreciate Adrian. And same goes to you. I really love our conversations. So thank you again for having me here. All right. So with that, thank you all for listening to us today in Shades of Success. Uh, if you want to tune in more, please do make sure you follow on your on the socials as well as through Spotify is where you can find this podcast at Shades of Success. That's S-I-X-C-E-S-S. So with that, everyone take care. Have an amazing day and we'll talk soon. Peace. Peace. Thank you.